Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We'll also be doing another batch of my flick picks for Dylan. This episode, we'll talk about the trippy and the surreal in both of my selected films, Stay and Predestination. Let's get started with some news. First up, Winning Time, the uh, show about the Lakers, was canceled at HBO right after the season two finale. How disastrous. That's crazy. I heard it was good. I heard it was, the what I was billed was, it's the succession of basketball, which is, I think, the quote that is posted on the poster. That is a great way to advertise it. But apparently, none of people were watching it, which is crazy, because yeah, the like the creation of like the eighties Lakers dynasty, another way they've been pitching it. I feel like there's so many basketball fans that would want to be interested in that, but apparently not. So after two seasons got canceled. Also it got canceled during a season where the Lakers lost to the Celtics. So what a brutal way for that to end. Yeah. Really, really Um, sad. But yeah, that's kind of crazy, but some good news for a show on a different streamer. Netflix's One Piece, the live action, has been renewed for season two. That's great. And another TV show coming out, The Continental from the Universe of John Wick is starting to premiere. Do you know what that song is on? Peacock? What is it on? Peacock, yeah. I was right. All right. So there you go. So you can watch uh, Mel Gibson in that one. I don't know how that ended up happening, but yeah. What? in the Continental. Oh my God, you're right. It is Mel Gibson. What the fuck? Why? (laughs) I don't know. That's kind of wild. So yeah, I think it's three episodes or three parts or whatever, but the first one is wild. So you can go watch that. And then the Percy Jackson and the Olympians trailer for the Disney Plus series, which premieres on December 20th, that has been released... Were you a Percy Jackson reader? Yeah, I read the first three books. Gotcha. So not a huge fan. Two not going to be checking out what the... What was the third book? Uh, the names, I don't know. They all bleed together. I don't know off. if I remember. I, I don't know. I know I read Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, and I read Percy Jackson, The Sea of Monsters. I don't know if I read the third book. Let the me look. Trials of Apollo, or... I don't know which one that one is. The There's Titan's so Curse. Titan's Curse, there you go. I don't remember reading the Titan's Curse, but I remember reading the Battle of the Labyrinth, which was the next one. So maybe I did read the Titan's Curse. I don't even fucking remember. <laughs> gotcha. So, but yes, I was, I was, I was, I did really like the books. Yes. Gotcha. I did like the books as a kid. I haven't read them in 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Makes sense. So you won't be checking out the uh, Percy Jackson series? Yeah, I might. I do like Percy Jackson. I might check it out. I really was disappointed in the movie, so perhaps I will be true pleasantly surprised. Be a nice way to see uh, an adaptation for it. Um, that's a bit more faithful. Can do more of the things from the books. So yeah, I think I'll also check it out because I enjoyed reading uh, Percy Jackson. How much Wait, I remember? Did you read? I think because there was the first 
it was like the first five and then they had another series i was like another batch of five i never read the second one but that first batch i think i read all the way through you read all five of them i think so but it's been a long time it was also like yeah like you uh like 13 to 15 years ago so yeah craziness um but yeah I, i'm interested in checking it out you know what i do think i read off of because the last one's called the last olympian and i remember reading that one too but i don't remember what happens i don't remember what happens in any of them except for the first book all yeah. four of the other books are just gone from my memory it's a blur so in yeah. the sea of monsters is when we meet the cyclops that's what i remember yes yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. But all right, for the box office breakdown for September 15th to the 17th, we have The Nun 2 still in first place, 14.5 million. And coming in right on its heels, The Haunting in Venice with 14.3 million. Wow, so it was not able to take the number one spot in its debut weekend. Bummer. A true horror for uh, Kenneth Branagh and the team for that. And hopefully it will kill (laughs) these movies he's trying to make. Because God... I do not like them. The Equalizer 3 was 7.2 million, bringing its domestic total to 75 million. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 made 4.7 million. Barbie, 3.8 million. Woo! Blue Beetle, 2.5 million, bringing its worldwide total to 120 million. Juwan with 2.4 million. Gran Turismo with 2.3 million, bringing its domestic total to 40 million. Which is quite disappointing for that film. Uh, Oppenheimer, two million, bring its worldwide total to nine hundred and ten million, making it the highest-grossing biopic ever, beating out Freddie Mercury's Bohemian Rhapsody. Get fucked. Let's go. Crazy Ooh. stuff. That's Absolutely. insane. No one could have predicted this very, very insane run for Oppie. Indeed. And in the last spot, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem with 2 million, bringing its domestic total to 114 and its worldwide total to 167 million. The box office predictions for this upcoming weekend, September 22nd to the 24th, The Expendables, the fourth one. <laughs> we're having I hate the uh, title. I hate the title. It's Expendables, but the A in Expendables is just a four. Yeah, they pulled a fan four stick. And I hate it. <laughs> So, yeah, the expend four bowls we have uh, coming out this weekend. The original had 34 million in 2010. Expendables 2 had 28 million in 2012. And then Expendables 3 had 15 million in 2014 for its opening. How are they still making these things? The I, diminishing returns are crazy. Yeah, I have no clue. So, do you think Expendables 4 will be able to break the trend or will it continue the? falling opening weekend i think it'll continue the falling opening weekends i'm guessing 12 million i don't see it making more than 20 i'm gonna say 12 million i think it's gonna do abysmal yeah i can agree with that i don't think it'd be funny if it went down to single digits so that it's like each opening it goes down to the next like number we had 30 million 20 million 15 so i think it'd be funny if that happened but i don't think it will i think it'll be able to hit like 11 million um but yeah all right, now let's move on to the main topic, the flick picks. So I had two films that are sort of tied together and the fact that they're both very trippy or mind-bendy um, and they're very much overlooked. Had you, outside of me mentioning them as things to possibly do in the flick picks, have you ever heard of these films before? Never, 
ever in my fucking life ever heard of these movies. Now, I'm glad you made me watch them because I need to I need to spread my wings more and watch more unknown movies and try and try new things that I wouldn't typically like. Yeah. Uh but we'll we'll talk about more about whether I like them or not when we get to the movies. Now, I'm very curious why you picked each of these movies specifically. So let's start with the first one, Stay, 2005, directed by Mark Forrester, written by David Benioff, who is half of Benioff and Weiss from Game of Thrones, and starring Ewan McGregor, Ryan Gosling, and Naomi Watts. You wrote down the box office numbers here. It made $2 million in its opening weekend, which is really bad. But here's where it gets worse. The final gross for the movie was $3.6 million domestically and $8 million worldwide. That's terrible. That's crazy i knew these are like very overlooked underrated films but i did not know it was this bad 3.6 million domestic that's insane horrible that is horrible why did you pick this movie why why was this movie picked so i had seen this in one of the art of the cinema classes yeah. uh yeah selected by barry so it was like highlighting a different thing each time and this one i think had done Oh, I should try and pull out my uh, like notebook for it to see what my exact notes were during the movie. Oh, please do. Do but, you have it with you? Yeah, I think so. So I'm have to. Oh, please do. When you give your thoughts, I'll go and start digging for it. But um, so I gave, or so it was for I think both cinematography and sound, um, is why he had like selected it to highlight those elements of the film. Okay. Um, so I was seeing it in a theater with that like surround sound, the big screen film I had never heard of before, but it's got. You make Gregor Ryan Gosling, like all these names, yeah, watch, names, like known entities, but I'd never heard of it. Um, and so I was curious about it and watching it, it was just such a ride of confusion, but fascination of what the heck is going on and trying to piece it together and all this. Um, so I think that aspect of it, it being like a twisty, turny, mind bender film, um, a lot of those surrealist elements, dreamlike qualities to it, the transitions are insane out of this world um like the planning that had to go into all of that still boggles my mind so i think that's a big credit to it and i think the sound design is really good but the score as well is one that i from that film that viewing of it that first time i loved it it was like stuck in my head afterwards and i would think about the film um for like that week week and a half afterwards like i would just continuously go back to that film and then also that score of just thinking about it um and so it's one that because i don't generally like seek out scores for films and like listen to them mm. um multiple times but this is definitely one that i do have like in a playlist where if i'm studying or something like that i'll listen to it and it's so good it's amazing and also which i was surprised about going back to it the best song like the best part of the best song which is the closing one didn't even appear in the film it was like during the credits and i don't even think they showed like all of that which is wild to me because it's amazing it's like one of the best like pieces of music i've heard so who wrote who wrote the score it's a great question let's uh fact check that right now good god you should know this you listen to them all the time apparently well yeah but it doesn't <laughs> uh i think it just because it's not on his like personal account it's on the because you know how they have like watchtower music for wb films oh sure not on that one but it's on like that sort of account um but yeah we can pull up the composer right here original music by ashton spencer tom scott and thad spencer 
Thad Ash and Spencer. Spencer. Oh, Ash and Spencer, yeah. Ash and Spencer is like the duo. So there you go, Ash and Spencer. That's pretty fascinating. And then did have over the credits as well. They had. I wonder if they made just a uh, like that song, or if that was a different thing. But so yeah, the score, and then seems like they do other other types of music as well. The Onion movie is another one of their, uh, <laughs> their films. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those were the reasons that I had selected it. But I had also seen, like, this is not a well-received film, obviously, by the box office, but then also yeah. critically, like, it is not that well-respected at all. But that's what I loved about seeing it, is I went in knowing nothing about it, no preconceived notions, no expectations, just the film itself, meaning it on its terms. And I thought overall the experience was great. And it was one of those that, yeah, just stuck in my mind. Like the ambiance for it, the the world that it had constructed, it just was burned into my brain. Um, and so for that reason, it just continually rose in my estimation after having seen it. Um, and so I love it. I honestly do think it's a blast. I think it's very creative. Um, so, yeah, I love this being like an underrated gem that I have my back pocket that I can recommend to people, even though I know that it it could definitely be received poorly just on the front of like, it's like, it is trying to be a trippy, confusing movie. Um, and so it either may not work for some people because of that, because they don't want to be plugged into it. Or I don't know, you could just be like, oh, this is all stupid, or I can predict everything. And so the effects of it aren't as, um, as intense as if like it was catching you by surprise but yeah i thought it'd be fun to talk about at the least but i knew these selections may not be as well received as my uh, previous ones that i gave on the mm-hmm. former flick pick but let's turn over to you before we get into spoilers for everything let's just hear your initial thoughts i'm gonna try and pick up my old notebook and see if i can get my uh my live reaction from the theater a couple years ago but yeah so we were just talking a second ago before we started recording about how doing this podcast has uh, uh made it a lot easier for me to pontificate how i feel about movies and I'm sure uh, it's not verbalized how you feel about it. yeah whatever it's the same thing you know goo goo gaga uh i feel like if i had to really describe my thoughts on this movie i would have to say it's bad <laughs> so I really didn't need this podcast to 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 get those words out. I mean, watching it, it was brutal, brutal experience. I did not have a good time. I did not find it enjoyable. Uh, obviously, it's a twisty, mind-bendy sort of movie. And uh, naturally, there is a twist at the end, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section. But the whole movie is so confusing that it's so, it, re- it becomes so dependent upon that twist that I no longer care about the rest of the movie. I'm just waiting for the twist to happen to understand what's going on, which is a negative, a big negative. And I would also say that a lot of the discussions they have in the movie, which we'll get into in the spoiler section, deals with a very heavy topic and it deals with it in a very poor fashion that I didn't think was done very well. It felt very callous and it felt very... uh, uh, very much from the perspective of somebody who has no experience dealing in some of these darker subjects. It feels very much like an outsider's opinion about some of these dark side, darker subjects. 
and just trying to capitalize on that feeling in order to get a reaction from the audience. So I don't think it succeeded as a film. I think maybe like a third of the transact, a third of the transitions were like really well done. I think the other two thirds were confusing and got in the way of things. Obviously, like that's sure. the point is they're trying to do the transitions to make it more mind bendy, but like it got in the way a lot of the times. It looked cheesy, but a third of them were really cool. Like anytime it went up and it, like sparkled in the lights and then moved back down, that looked really good. But a lot of them were just yeah messy. And uh, as a whole, I thought that I just didn't. I guess I did care about the characters, which is a plus, but I didn't care as much as I could have. That's my that's my spoiler free thoughts. Did you find your notebook? I did. Did you find the, the section? Yes. So I'm going to read just everything that was written down in this little section. So yeah, it was based on sound design. Sense of unease created through sound generates a mood, psychological thriller, polarizing reaction. Uh, sound engineers James Sabat and Ren Kelsey, I think, maybe, hopefully. Okay. Um, but then, yeah, so sound can put you in the character's headspace, blah, blah, blah. Um, most scenes transition seamlessly, dreamlike, duplicate. Oh, yeah, this is sort of a timeout. Other things. So yeah, we're gonna now go into spoiler section. Yeah, so if you it. haven't seen this film yet, I recommend it. Go watch it just because it's it's again it's a overlooked film. I think it at least for those things that we had mentioned, like transitions, the sound design as an aspect. Like I think it is a ride, and it may not being one you enjoy, but it's a ride nonetheless. I think that can be agreed upon. Um, but yeah. And sound definitely set in ethereal, unsettling, uh, active type of world. Um, and then, yeah, I said this was a ride. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. What an atmosphere created. Not a commercial film. And then this was me like writing down thoughts that I had had of like, oh, he projected his personality onto all those people. Um, so she was a painter like him, had the suicidal ideation like him. Um, <clears throat> explores his relationship with them like with the dad and his mom like how they were manifested in the world did that have some relation to uh the real life relationship which we'll touch on a little bit later on but i did think that was a fascinating component um which maybe could have been capitalized on a bit better but i think there was some elements to that the non sequiturs throughout the film by various characters were those that henry heard at the end when they checked up on him Many components of avant-garde, and I just listed out, uh, yeah, like the visual effects, sound, cinematography, like the main ed editing, the elements that stuck out. So those are my live reactions from the uh, the time that I had seen it back in. Oh, I should have looked at the exact date for that. Let's let's see. Um, but yeah, you can go ahead and start getting a bit more specific with some of those things that you. Yeah, right let me now. tear into this movie. So it was October fifteenth, twenty twenty. So almost yeah. three years ago. Wow. Yeah. So the story of the film is an hour and a half long, and the first hour and twenty minutes of it is all set up for that ten minutes of twist at the end, which does not make for a good movie right off the bat. I can appreciate a lot of the setup they do there with like the non sequiturs, with the reusing of cast members like Sterling K. Brown appears like twice as two different characters because mm -hmm. it's all the people he sees in his vision in that moment at the end. 
So for those of you who didn't watch it because you didn't want to because this movie's bad, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what happens so that you're, you can follow along. Basically, Ewan McGregor is a therapist. Ryan Gosling is the patient. And Ewan McGregor is trying to find Ryan Gosling before he kills himself. But all the while, he's going insane himself. And then you find out at the very end that the whole thing was a dream inside Ryan Gosling's head, that he was in a car accident and that he's about to die. He's on the verge of death. And he has the survivor's guilt that he is the only one that's alive right now. And everybody else in the car was dead and that everything he was imagining were the people around him. So Ewan McGregor is a doctor that's attending to him and Naomi Watts is a nurse and there's like a bunch of bystanders and all these characters were like people he fit into this imagination reality that he was conceiving for like an hour and 20 minutes that you're watching this movie. But it's half that story or the bulk of that story of an hour and 20 minutes is told is told from Ewan McGregor's perspective. So Ryan Gosling, the, the idea that we're supposed to accept is that Ryan Gosling has fantasized this reality where Ewan McGregor is the main character, which if I was on the verge of death and he was taking care of me, I'd do the same thing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. I'm not completely surprised. I still think it is uh, a hard pill to swallow in terms of like, we've been watching the story develop for an hour and 20 minutes. And then the very end is none of it fucking mattered because it wasn't real, which is Great. again, a twist that I hate in many 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 movies of what you just saw wasn't real there is no reality blah 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 blah. like i think it's stupid for a long time i was like i thought it was going to be the twist where they're the same character or i thought it was going to be the twist where everybody's dead and you mcgregor seeing dead people i was like i don't know what the twist is going to be but it's going to be something that's stereotypical and not original and it kind of was i mean in a way where it's just like there is no real reality this is this is the new this is the actual reality that we're seeing everything you saw before was fake um, I thought a lot of the discussions they had about suicide, which didn't even end up being the point of the movie. It was about survivor's guilt. But the the discussion they had about suicide, because the whole bulk of it is about suicide, even though. I guess, I mean, in a way, his character feels so guilty that he's alive, that he wants to die with the rest of them. So in a way, yeah. he, he wants to die in a suicidal manner, but I mean, he doesn't kill himself in the end. He just dies from his wounds. But the whole bulk of the movie talks about suicide. And it does so in a manner that I don't think is reflective of how people actually view suicide. I feel like it is a hyper-realized and sensational version of it. And I think it's coming from a place of trying to be shock and awe for the audience and trying to be dark and moody and edgy. And I don't think it feels very real. And I think that inauthenticity definitely stands out in a very strong way. And that turned me off from the get-go and it just got worse and worse. Like I think Naomi Watts' character as a whole just sucks sucks so bad she talks about suicide as if it's just a throwaway thing she is very callous towards the entire idea of ewan mcgregor's patient uh privilege or patient confidentiality agreement that he has with henry just constantly she's like tell me about him say it well given that uh she used to be his patient apparently she's like oh he's already broken every rule in the book already so what's one more violation fair enough um still yeah i just i feel like it is still very chaos i just feel like it was like i feel like it was it was definitely like the idea of oh what if you're on the verge of death and you imagine this whole reality that doesn't exist and then building a a story off of that and then not doing much work after that is what it felt like from a script perspective which i don't think it came out well i think a lot of little hints they do work great like the reusing of the characters 
the repetition of those phrases that they say, of course. So like, it's got, it's got that idea of like, Hey, this could be good, but it has the, yeah, it's just a shine light. Some of the sort of things like the film frequently uses 180 rule breaks. Like, you know, the whole thing of the 180 rule, you should be looking at like, you should stay on one side of the line of two characters that are having a conversation um, instead of like randomly flipping to the other person's face. And so this one breaks that rule all the time, partially to give you the clue of, well, one, it's like, oh, it's disorienting, which it wants you to be. But also they do that a lot when it's a conversation between uh, Sam and Henry, where it looks like they're in their same exact spot. Like you're seeing the right side of their face and they're looking in the same direction, which even though obviously that can't be possible, or it shouldn't be like how we're seeing it because they're looking at each other. But the way that it flips the camera to the other side of them, it has them in the same position. So it's like, oh, they're the same person. Um, you mentioned, yeah, like Sterling K. Brown, which is funny because it's definitely noticeable now that he's like such a huge known. Yeah, same actor. with uh, Mark Margolis. From As well, Bad. yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if for back then, um, it'd be harder to catch like, oh, this guy appeared because they didn't really shine too much of a line on like Sterling K. Brown just like walks past him. So yeah. you could miss it. Um, but yeah, the Mark Margolis one is definitely more prominent because he had much more of a direct conversation. Um, but yeah, I thought that was fascinating too. And then there's a couple scenes where a lot of the extras in the background, they're wearing the same clothes and it's like duplicates, like two or three of them. Um, you have the thing. Did you notice you and McGregor's pants? Yes. Did you I, notice I didn't notice the pants. Yeah. <laughs> like very short pants, like the high hem. And uh, that being because, He's crouched. he's crouched down at the end. So that's how he sees him is with his pants like rolled up. Um, so things like that, which, yeah, throw you off or make no sense or they're like certainly weird. But then it all fits together. It's like, oh, it's because he's like hallucinating this stuff. And so he can't populate the world with all these random people, just like with dreams. Like everyone in dream is someone you have seen before. So that sort of thing, um, which I think was interesting. And then going to your other point of the like suicidal thing. So I've never like had suicidal ideation or things like that. So I can't sure. personally speak to that sort of experience. My inclination would be as well to like, I, we also don't know whether or not uh, Benioff has had that stuff or what sort of like of research they've done. My inclination is that it probably does differ for a lot of people, like how people are able to deal with a trauma or if they had attempted like the way that they'll just try and cope with it, I feel like would on a case-by-case basis be distinct. Like there would be no one uniform way that that gets approached, but there could be a pattern um, or like, yeah, just in human behavior, there's like certain things that would for most people be the case and how they would confront this issue or deal with this issue. Um, And so, yeah, that's just one of those things of if you didn't resonate with that, or if you felt like that was not uh, in line with what, you know to be the case of how people might deal with that stuff then that's just one of those things that yeah for me it wouldn't have come up i wouldn't have known about it but for you it could be a it just feels fake feels forced yeah you're it feels edgy for the sake of being edgy you know yeah it's definitely i mean yeah ryan feels like his whole look is definitely like very edgy it feels like the the not the first season of 13 reasons why but the other seasons of 13 reasons why it feels like that you know where you're trying, but you don't really know what you're talking about. And sure. it's just, it just comes off very, very bad. 
And I, I did not have a good time watching this movie. I did not have fun. Gotcha. You did not like uh, trying to piece the clues together or decipher no. what was going on. I just didn't care because I knew the whole thing was going to be based on a twist. And so I was just waiting for the twist to happen so that I could understand everything that came before. I didn't care about piecing anything together. Sure. It, wasn't, it was like, like it was so it was so nonsensical that I was like, there's nothing that I could come up with to make it make sense. So I just don't care. Just tell me what the twist is and then I'll understand everything and then just still not care. <laughs> but didn't I feel like I thought the twist was good and I think it did help make everything connect because as you pointed out it's like that survivor's guilt like the character of henry latham in the dream world he feels extremely guilty we see him constantly being like oh i'm gonna go to hell i killed my parents i want to die like i want to kill myself yeah but um, in the reality that, like everything that i have known up until this point all hour and 20 minutes of this movie just is total bullshit and it doesn't matter at all like, well yeah it but it's it's all like difference. in his brain but it's his mind trying to process this fact that he's blaming himself like but on then his, why is it from you and mcgregor's himself. perspective like i don't give a shit now like they they fantasize this whole reality for you and mcgregor that's not even real so i don't care about it if well, the entire story was from henry's perspective and it was henry's like way of coping with what happened and then there was surrealist parts of that perhaps I could get behind it. But right. if you're going to tell they, me this story is going to be you and McGregor's story for an hour and 20 minutes, and then it turns out all of it was not real and didn't matter anyway. And all of the, all of the weight I have felt the same weight that you and McGregor feels to try and like save his life doesn't matter because it's not a real reality. Right. But you could see that as being again, like the projection of his personality or different fragments of his brain. Like the you and McGregor character could be the piece of, Henry, who's like dying, that wants to be like, no, this isn't you or this wasn't your fault. And so it's like that side of you that's trying to argue for that part of it. So he's, yes, like all this uh, fabricated character, like the backstory is made up, but the the projection of Sam for Henry is supposed to be that like voice in his head that's trying to tell him like it's not your fault, like you didn't do this, like you're okay. Sure. Um, and it's also I'm what- not, like, I'm not saying it doesn't make him, sense. Like the, it's the him- movie- the whole like hallucination and dream here is like Henry having that internal battle of yeah. I killed like my family and my girlfriend and then wrestling with like he wants to be forgiven, but he wants to also die. And so it's like that whole thing. So Sam trying to save him, I feel like is just that fragment of Henry that wants to be the one to say like, no, you're good. Like you're absolved of this. You're not to blame. So it, it also, <laughs> it's also yes to try and have this mind bendy concept where you want to, hide this reveal of oh they're all the same character it's the same thing with like any other film that does that sort of thing and pulls the rug out from under oh they're the same character like it's to have a fun fascinating twist that throws you for a loop but then it can also connect with the themes or what it's trying to say and i feel like this one does do that like it is a wild twist that you're trying to have for the sake of having a twist but it does connect with what's going on which is these are all projections of henry as he's on his deathbed and it's him wrestling with in his final moments as he's dying wrestling with is he to blame for this or is he not and can he forgive himself so sam again is i don't need him to forgive himself i don't disagree that the story makes like i know the story makes sense like it makes sense mm-hmm. and it's it is a it is a story that is told from start to finish, and there's not really that many plot holes because it's so. Because first off, it's an hour twenty minutes, and none of that 
matters anyway. So you can fill it with plot holes and it won't matter. You just dissolve the whole thing in the last 10 minutes and say it's not real. It doesn't mm. matter if there's plot holes or not. So, I mean, yes, it makes sense. I just think it's bad. Like, I just don't think. Well, that's I fair. Care. I mean, that's, yeah, those are two separate things. So there's if you nothing didn't, that I didn't connect with it, then that's how it is. Yeah. There's just nothing in it that matters to me. Like, no, there's no, like, why would I care about this story just for the twist? And then to not care about the twist either. Well, yeah. I mean, ideally, the, you would buy into them trying to save Henry. And then as things get more surrealist and crazy, and you're trying to figure out what is going on with this reality, what is real, what's not. And then the twist showcases what it was all about and then hopefully that clicks for you but yeah for you it didn't and that's okay Sometimes in a different version work, i probably would have liked this movie in a different version not i don't think i would have ever loved this movie in any version because i don't think anything that i don't think any movie that relies on the twist to make me care about the rest of the movie is going to be a strong movie like the sixth sense has a good twist because up until that moment i care about what the character's doing and what he's going through and I care about the relationship he has as it's going through. And then the twist happens that makes it more interesting and makes me think back upon it. That's why the Sixth Sense twist is so good. This one is I'm watching for an hour and 20 minutes and I don't care because it doesn't make sense in any way or any shape or any form. And then the twist happens and it makes sense. But now I don't have to care about anything that came before because it wasn't real in the first place. Sure. Again, so, only, I, so now, so now it's, it, like, it it's like... Because it was him wrestling with it. And so that was just the manifestation of his like internal wrestling with, am I a monster that should go to hell? Or can I be forgiven for this? You should um, recommend this movie to Lillian. I feel like she would really like it. Yeah. Because she we'll loves see. she loves edgy, twist-heavy things. <laughs> yeah. She's the kind of person who would watch it, and then you'd ask her about it. And she'd be like, she'd be like I don't know, this is, but the twist? Oh, the twist? So good. So good. That's what she would say. Sure. I do think I like that. I'm not that. It does. It relates to the other things. I also don't think, yeah, it's entirely built on just having the twist. All that probably is. Although again, like Sixth Sense, people only remember the twist for that. So it's also not a bad thing to be like, the biggest part is going to be this revelation. I don't have a problem with the biggest part being the revelation, but I need to care about the story that's going on regardless of the twist. Right. Which is true. And for me, I cared about I did not depressed care. Ryan Gosling and being all sad and all this. So I was like, we're going to try and decipher what's going on. Something weird is happening. But at the core of the story is this like troubled young man that is like going through it. And I want to see him make it through, like get out okay. So I think I think the it, problem I feel like is it's built around that. So there's all the crazy like dreamlike stuff around it. But I feel like that was the core of it. And so I was able to connect to it. I feel like that's just the determining factors. If you were able to connect with, um, despite all the funky, wild stuff, do you feel that there's a character there that is whether or not he's going to be able to make it and get better as the central crux of the emotional core? I feel like that that for me worked for you i mean yeah i didn't so then there was a, the rest of the stuff wouldn't work but yeah if you ask me there's a lot of problems with like if the story doesn't make sense without the twist why am i watching the story like i feel like there has to be some semblance of like this story could make sense there are just pieces that are a little out of whack but the whole thing was just 
not making any sense. Like if if that t- if you took out that last ten minutes and you just end with Ryan Gosling shooting himself in the head, there is there is no sense being made here whatsoever. It's entirely relying on the twist. I feel like there has to be some kind of a story that I could connect through, just even slightly, building up to that twist, so that when you do the twist, it turns that story that I thought made sense on its head. And this one was like literally does not make any fucking sense. I don't know if I entirely agree with that because again some twists are putting the final piece of the puzzle together and then yes it shines a new light on it I feel like again you're saying maybe elements of the story doesn't work but I feel like that emotional core is still there of like this guy this psychiatrist who is trying to help this kid who's very depressed and his sense of reality is waning who's now also like dealing with his own reality falling apart um, like they had been a twist of, oh, they're the same person or something like that. And he was just locked in some like mental ward. Like that would have been a twist that would have also like explained things, but I don't feel like that connects as well with the fact that the kid is blaming himself. He's clearly depressed, thinks that he had done something horrible. And then the ending is we find out, oh, it was some freak car accident. And this is him dying, projecting himself onto all these bystanders that are watching him as he's about to die and it was that whole uh internal debate of am i to blame or am i able to be forgiven for this i feel like that was present like they've mentioned it frequently like multiple times of like him with his parents and him feeling that he had killed them and then sam trying to mention like oh he thinks he did something horrible like i feel like that was present enough again at least for me in that part to where it it made sense like there was some emotional com- core there of trying to get this kid some help um, but then the twist is able to explain all the dreamlike stuff that's happening around it and the disintegration of reality around it and then it all connects with like oh that was all hallucination all him projecting that internal debate um so for me it clicked like without that twist i don't think it works obviously because we need that final element but there were things that are leading up to that twist and help set it up that I think are done well. And I wouldn't say that they're like meaningless. I think they are part of building towards that revelation, which is a great twist, but it's also, yeah, just like that character component of him just hating himself in his final moment. I also think it's just so sad. Like that's so tragic to be dying, bleeding out, thinking that, or like just believing that, oh, you're to blame for killing the most important people to you in your life. Like that's just so immensely sad of a concept. So then to have it, again, be like this whole creation of this world in the end, like instead of his life flashing before his eyes, it's this hallucination of him trying to wrestle with that. So I think it worked um, on that front. Like I thought there was a really solid emotional component there. I disagree, but it is what it is. How would you rate this? I can't say it. I can't. God, how many how many wedding rings out of five would you rate this movie? Crazy. I'm going to give it. And here's this other thing that we brought up of, I think in the first clip <laughs> we talked about it, of like theme mm-hmm. and character being like one of those distinguishing things that I need. But these two films that we have here highlight an exception to that, which is sometimes you can just come up with a concept and be like, this is just to see, can we do it? Can we just use cinematic techniques like with these transitions or the sound design mm-hmm. to just immerse the audience into an atmosphere that they're not going to be able to get 
anywhere else and just throw them for a loop, take them on a ride. Um, and then ideally there will be an emotional component underpinning all of that, which I think stay definitely has, um, to where you can be satisfied and get all the, like connect with the character and have that emotional catharsis, all the good things that you want a film to do. But also sometimes you just want to have your mind blown and you want to just go and see some like enchanting engrossing, crazy things happen on the screen and be uh, thrilled by that. So I think stay is a good example of one of those things where, yeah, probably the theme isn't the most powerful elements of it. Certainly not, not the most memorable and notable, but all the things around it, those transitions, which you said a third are good. I think more than that. Um, But I think all that was really creative. Um, Again, the score, all of that, the whole concept as well, though, I think it's just a fascinating way to approach it and to just, have an audience member go go through this ride with you um, and be amazed or in some cases be bored and annoyed like you. But for me, it clicked. Mm-hmm. It worked. I'm giving it a full five out of five. That's fucking crazy to me. That's insane. It's not without a flaws. Five out of five. There's like a lot That's of dialogue bizarre. in the beginning is, is not great, but nuts i'm giving it a two um, and a half out of five five out of five is crazy that's nuts i thought you were gonna say three and a half that's crazy not at all Mm -mm. i'm never gonna let you live this down i'm gonna every time you don't care i own it is a four how dare you you had certain again there are just certain blockades for you that it didn't work but for me i think it clicked so there you go yeah, acting like you're gonna say you're gonna hold this down over me. I don't care. This is great. I'm gonna recommend it to people. It may work for some people, may not, but hey, I'm a believer. We have a two and a half out of five. This All right, was a car crash. Let's talk about Predestination <laughs> from 2014, directed by Michael and Peter Spierig, written by the Spierig brothers as well, based on a short story from 1959 called All You Zombies by Robert Heinlein. Stars Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and Noah Taylor. The box office for this one, somehow, even more abysmal than Stay. 68,000 domestic. Not a typo. That is 68,000. And then worldwide, it had 4 million. So, again, very underseen, underappreciated film. Why I picked it. It's because similar to Stay, it's got this premise. And again, you would, if I'm going to guess correctly, you're probably going to also say this one is just um, going to feature its premise and have a crazy twist and turn, and that's all it's built on. And so this one, I would agree more so. But again, I would say sometimes if you have a really cool concept and you just execute it to the highest degree, that can be fun and thrilling and it's entertaining. And sometimes, that's what cinema can be for as well. So I think it gives you a lot to think about. It takes you for a ride and it's fun. And it features some incredible performances by Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook. This was my introduction to her before Succession. And I knew, I was like, she's got it. She's amazing. Hopefully she's going to have a great career after this. And then she certainly did with Succession. So um, yeah, that's why I chose this film because it does have the like mind bendy twisty premise that leans into a lot but it also has those quiet moments of just a conversation between ethan hawk and sarah snook 
and those are so enchanting as well. Like just them talking back and forth about this stuff. I was with it the whole way. I was enthralled. So that's why I picked Predestination. Now, Dylan, your thoughts. It's also bad. (laughs) I'm sorry. I did not like this one at all. I liked it even less than Stay. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, Spoiler free. Let me just say that um, I thought the technical aspects of it were uh, a little weaker. Not too bad. Like, I mean, they were they've they've got a limited budget here and I can respect the attempt to try and recreate a lot of like the period sets and whatnot. And there was a lot of efforts that went into that. And I can respect that as an artist, like they really tried, but um, I felt like with all the efforts that were being done on like a set design level and a costume level, I felt like the, the camera work didn't quite like the, the image quality didn't quite match what could have been done. I felt like, a lot of the story elements didn't match what could have been done. I felt like a lot of these special effects didn't match what could have been done. So I felt like it was really sad to see what was for the budget, pretty good, like set and costume design for like trying to do the forties and the sixties and the seventies and then the future as well. Like trying mm-hmm. to do all these things on such a limited budget. I think it was very solidly done on that level, but then it didn't match that quality in a way it, it, it had like a how should i put it it was like a, a a really bad christopher nolan movie like if christopher nolan like shit the bed really hard it would be this movie is is how i would put it like it had that feeling of that that sort of disjointed story structure going on and it had a lot of like these sci-fi elements mixed with like a lot of period piece stuff it just it didn't come together. And I think the biggest issue is that you've got two stories going on at the same time that by the end of it have to come together. You've got the story of Ethan Hawke and the fizzle bomber, and you've got the story of Sarah Snook and her past and not enough time is devoted to either story to make them stand out really well. So they both just kind of fall flat for me. Like it, either one could have just been their own movie. Like you could have done a movie where Ethan Hawke is a time traveler trying to catch the fizzle bomber. Or you could have done a movie where Sarah Snook is a time traveler who, like, has this encounter with herself. And in either case, like, either one of those could have been a better movie on their own than trying to combine those two ideas together and falling flat in that sense. And also, the plot twist is just so goddamn predictable. It's just so fucking... Could you have predicted every one of them? Yes. Honestly, you you could get a few, but... Every single as, one. Dude, as I'm going along, I'm like, I can see I can see what's going on. Because you know why? You know why? Have you ever seen the show Dark on Netflix? No, don't spoil it. I won't spoil anything. But that is a movie that is really about predestination. And it is about time loops. And that does it fucking perfectly. It does it perfectly. So I have seen the best. Mm-hmm. I have seen time travel content done exquisitely. And this is not even close not even close man yes it is a closed time loop and so yes that does make sense in the regard that they have completed a time loop and there are no paradoxes as a result yes but i don't give a shit i don't give a shit about the characters i don't give a shit about the fucking fizzle bomber none of it made me care 
I thought the idea of the Space Corps hiring women to go into space so that they could fuck the men astronauts, I thought that was really funny. I thought that was a really funny thing to put in there. But I didn't care. I didn't care about the story at all. Not in the slightest. You didn't. I thought, I thought, I thought Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook, I did not think they were amazing performances, but I think they were doing the best that they possibly could considering a very weak script. When I was watching the script and I was hearing the dialogue, it sounded like I was in screenwriting club again, listening <laughs> to really bad scripts. That's what it felt like. I was being transported. Like this was some dude's edgy time travel script that he wanted us to read. And I was like, man, this is not good. Oh, the dialogue is terrible. It is really, really bad. And they are two great performers who are working their asses off to try and make it work. And they get very close. It is very hard to make bad dialogue good, and they do the best that they can here. So shout out to them for really trying. But as a whole, this movie is just a <laughs> tanker. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can't because I wasn't able to rewatch this in time for the show, but I've seen it a couple of times. <clears throat> but no, I thought the performances were great. Like they were so engaging. Because um, <clears throat> again, there's just like a portion of it where it's just them sitting at the table, like before any of the time travel stuff really kicks into gear. Yeah. And obviously this is like setting up. That's another, that's another weak part of the story. The fact that the first half of the movie is just a story being told. It has nothing to do with time travel. The fact that that's, it's the same thing as stay. It's just too much setup, mm. too much setup for what was supposed to be a time travel story, which makes it which, disappointing. Yeah, maybe so. But I feel like what they use to like engage you in that, so like, yeah, setup is being done, but also with stay, you have like those uh, dreamlike transitions and then you're trying to piece together like what is going on and yeah, then but the, care. the connection with Ryan Gosling's character. Um, and then in this one, you have them conversing at the table and they're both such charismatic, engaging performers. I feel like, yeah, for me, I was plugged in entirely to it as she was going through the story of her life. And then, I mean, it is, uh, you know, pretty fascinating <laughs> Um, story that they have there and they showcase like it's not just them talking I mean they do have the flashbacks to it so we get that as well to break up um, what could be visual monotony of the bar but they have that to help engage you while they're still like doing all the work that's necessary to set it up for the twist that comes down the line and again it's just it's one of those things that if you're plugged into it then it works for you and then also if the twist works for you you're more willing to forgive any of the uh more obvious setups that are having to take place and then if it doesn't work you are not plugged in with that if you don't connect with that twist or the characters as they're building out their you know backstories then it's not going to work all right well let's get into the spoilers here for predestination i'm going to go ahead and do the same thing i did for stay and just assume that most of you didn't watch the movie and just spoil the end of it so that you can you go watch it also uh, not a long film both of them are uh under two hours they're both pretty short yeah so the plot of predestination is ethan hawk is a time traveling agent trying to catch the fizzle bomber and he goes back in time and he starts talking with this uh man about like his past and like interesting stories and the man reveals that in the past he was a woman and that he was impregnated and had to give birth and then after giving birth he they discovered that he has two full sets of uh uh, sex organs and that the female sex organs had to be removed because of complications from the birth and that 
uh, her sex organs had to be converted into the male sex organs. So she had a sex transition into being a man. And then <clears throat> they get into the time travel aspects of now you have to go back in time and kill the man who impregnated you because that is like, it's the whole, it's just so fucking bad. It's so fucking bad. It's so garbage. So they go back in time to go kill the man that impregnated uh, Sarah Snook's character. And then Sarah Snook finds out that she is the character that impregnated herself. So she is, is transitioned into a man and goes back in time and has fully functioning sex organs. And so she impregnates the female version of herself in the past. And then Ethan Hawke goes into the future and he's trying to catch the fizzle bomber and he fails. And then he has to go back in time and steal the baby that they gave birth to and then take it back in time to become Sarah Snook. So Sarah Snook is the mother, the father and the child, essentially a closed loop of this is a paradox of you have created yourself Mm -hmm. yada 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 and then you find out that sarah snook the man version of sarah snook gets taken i'm going to call him jane and, and john to make it as easy so john gets taken into the future and john has to become a time travel agent like ethan hawk to track the fizzle bomber down but then when tracking the fizzle bomber down we get taken back to the beginning of the movie where the bomb explodes and john becomes disfigured and turns into ethan hawk so ethan hawk is also the same character and then ethan hawk has to do all this stuff of going back in time and then Ethan Hawke finally, in his version, gets decommissioned from the time travel agency and is in 1970-whatever, just chilling. And then he decides to track down the Fizzle Bomber because he knows when he's going to be at a laundromat for some reason. Which, if you are a time travel agent and you're trying to track down a bomber, it can't be this fucking hard. You know where he's going to be at every fucking moment of his fucking life. You're a time travel cop. How hard could it fucking be? But anyway... Because the other guy is him. He knows exactly when he would know where he is. Yeah, so then he finds out that the Fizzle Bomber is actually himself way in the future, that he uses the time travel machine to go into a bunch of different realities and find newspaper clippings, which shouldn't exist because it's a time travel paradox in itself. And in that case, decides to... You know what? There were several missed opportunities for that ending that would have made it a lot better. One of them would have been to close that time loop in the sense that, you know, the whole movie they're saying, if the man that ruined your life was put in front of you, would you, and you could get away with it, would you kill him? Yep. So he's put in that situation where he's face to face with the man that ruined his life and it's himself in the future. Mm -hmm. And he says, would you kill that person? The perfect opportunity would have been Ethan Hawke just takes the gun and shoots himself in the head to prevent that reality from happening. That would have been the best ending because then the time loop would have been closed. And he would have been killing the, that version of himself. He would have been killing the man that ruined his life, which was himself. And really? that would have been cool. The other missed opportunity was Ethan Hawke goes to write this big manuscript at the end for whatever fucking reason. And he goes to write the title and he types out Jane and then crosses it out and puts John Doe. Dude, the missed opportunity. If they had put Jane Johnson, that would have been so funny. <laughs> the missed yeah. opportunity. Come on. That would have been so good. Right? Come on. I guess that would have been so good. I was waiting for it, but it was John Doe, which was dumb as shit. Shane Johnson would have been hilarious. Yeah, but no, yeah, the movie's really terrible. Like, it just again, it's like Stay, where I guess technically it makes sense, but 
in actuality, who gives a shit about any of it? Like, it doesn't. It's just but that's what I'm saying, though. Sometimes you can just plug into the fact that you're going on a no. I cannot plug interesting wild ride. It's just time travel. A time travel take movie. The concept and what you have of like, oh, someone is both the mother, the father, the child, the kidnapper, a time cop recruiter, and the bomber that he's chasing all at the same time. You're like, okay, interesting premise. You know, let's build it out into a film. And this is what we get here where you're able to slowly get those little clues sprinkled in. You get to connect, hopefully, with the characters as well from the, you know, the actors that are giving them life. And then you're taken on that ride and you get to be amazed or surprised or shocked or fascinated or have, you know, a thought provoking uh, reaction to something. That's what this is. That's what it's going for. It's going there to entertain and to amaze and to give you a fascinating concept and they're just playing that out in a feature film. Bro, who fucks themselves? Who Oh my god, I mean, I don't know about that, but come on. That is pretty crazy. So my when I read about the the short story was based on, my thought was that like they had to like they had to go back in time and impregnate themselves in order to like prevent something from happening. But in this movie, the implication is that John just wanted to fuck himself. Like, like yeah. he just wanted to do it. Which, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, make I mean it, they make it make sense in the context of the story of, of, like, them not feeling like a part of society and feeling upset and feeling like they need someone to to value them. Like, they make it make sense. But you're still fucking yourself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, it's definitely a weird thing. I mean, they do that what with the Loki thing too, of like, uh, ah, I Loki guess you're right, or whatever yeah. name is. Like that comes up, and again, yeah, yeah, it's weird, but it's also a thing that no one has ever had to actually face. Like, it's a empty dilemma. Would you do it, Ryan? It's never gonna Would happen. You have sex with female no. Ryan? You wouldn't. You don't know. What if? What if she's hot? <laughs> I mean, again, it's a thing we'll never okay, really. Okay, have to so in it's this just, movie, it, in this know. movie, Sarah Snook looks like herself which which would be hard but what if it was like the loki situation where you meet female ryan and it is female ryan from a different reality but it looks nothing like. well that's also the case too because it's like like yeah they're named a different character they totally are different it's like different realities so yeah in this one it's like you are fucking yourself from the past like you're literally a past version of yourself yourself. yeah which is pretty you've already lived yeah yeah it's a different thing completely but would you have sex with the alternate reality version of yourself that's a woman no. that looks something like you? Really? Uh, would you? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> you would gather all the different versions of yourself and have an orgy? God, <laughs> I don't crazy. know. I mean, if she was hot. It's just odd. It's just strange. So, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> this is just what it is. It's just trying to have a mind-bendy, thrilling time it's travel film. Bad. It's bad. And it's fun. It works. Gets you the surprises. It's fun to just see how it all clicks together, how it connects. It's bad. Got Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook. I mean, what more do you want? It's good. I want a good movie. I want. I want those two. I want those two actors to be in a good movie because they are great actors. Yes. Yes. And this was that. No, it was not. It's a fun sci-fi flick, bro. Do you have any other thoughts on Predestination? Can we wrap this up? Because I've I've exhausted all I want to talk about it. No, I'm, I'm good. How many fizzle bombers out of five do you give this movie? And if you say five, I swear to Christ. 
I'm giving it a full. No, I'm giving it a four point five out of five. That's crazy. I'm giving it a two. That's insane. <laughs> a two a four out of and five. A half. That's wild. Who are you? Who have you become? Who are you? I'm here. I'm breaking the uh, the misconception. I can't connect with films that are. You're right. You are doing that. Heavy premise, heavy instead of just theme based. I'm showing I've got range. Where are you? What's going on here? I'm the guy who usually likes the trippy, heady things that don't have a plot. Yeah, what the heck? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Why didn't these work? It's because it's because there's just enough of a theme and just enough of a plot. That they're they, either they they should have cut it all out and just gone with the feeling of what they're especially stay in particular should have just gone with the feeling of what it was, or should have given me more to make it make more sense. Mm. Predestination was fucked from the beginning, much like Sarah Snook's character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, there's our discussion <laughs> of stay and predestination. Some overlooked films. I would call uh, them. Uh, you know, some underrated, underseen gems. I'm excited for my series back to you because I already know what they're going to be. And I'm oh, going to yeah? pick movies that you're going to fucking love. Interesting. I just know. I mean, I'm excited for it. Oh, yeah. I'm down to see uh, what you got. All right. That is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com. Our main title thing for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars from whatever podcast I'd be listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.